Welcome to the Bearers for Builders podcast, brought to you by Radical. Radical is a peer-to-peer stack that offers developers infrastructure to collaborate on open source code in a decentralized way. On today's episode, Maddie Bergen speaks with Nada Dabit, founder of DeveloperDAO, and previously of AWS, The Graph Protocol, and Celestia. Since recording this episode, Nada is leading developer relations at Aave and Lens, a DeFi protocol and decentralized social network. Hi, Nada. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bearers for Builders podcast hosted by Radical. We are extremely excited to have you on. Before we begin, I would love to hear a bit more about you. Sure. Thank you so much for having me, by the way. I'm a huge fan of Radical, so I'm honored to be here. Um, I've been a developer for a little over 10 years, and I currently work with Celestia, which is the first modular blockchain network. And I have kind of worked in a lot of different areas and software from front-end web development to mobile development to, to the cloud. And then in April of 2021, I joined the blockchain space working with the Graph Protocol and was you know working with them for a little over a year before transitioning over here to Celestia. Um, like I mentioned, I've been a developer for most of my career, but transitioned into developer uh, relations as a developer advocate working at Amazon Web Services, which was kind of like a career progression from my own personal interest and passion that has to do with like teaching and education. Amazing. And what do you think initially inspired your journey into blockchain? Well, it was a combination of uh, a few different things. There was my boredom a little bit with traditional tech, maybe working at a, co- a corporate environment for a couple of years during COVID. Uh, after a little over three years at AWS, I was a little bit maybe bored, burnt out, and um, was just kind of keeping my eyes open for what I was going to do next maybe. And when I learned about really the parts of Web3 and blockchain that were beyond cryptocurrency, which is something that I wasn't really aware of up until early last year into th- early 2021, it really turned into this like huge rabbit hole. And it seemed like such an exciting and challenging space that was still very nascent with a lot of big problems to solve. It seemed a lot more interesting and exciting to me than working in an area where it's not like we had solved all the challenges, but we achieved massive scale you know, at AWS, you could basically build any types of application that you needed. We knew the answers to most things. And then kind of like glancing at, at blockchain and Web3, we don't know the answers to a lot of things. So that, that to me, that's, that's kind of really exciting and interesting to me. And it gives me motivation to kind of come to work every day and try to help solve some of these challenges. I think that's an incredible way to put it. And what is one of the biggest challenges that fascinates you the most within the blockchain space? Yeah, I think there's there's so much to to touch on because like in traditional tech, you have a limited scope maybe of what you're doing because you're just building out applications that kind of do almost the same thing over and over. You're, you're storing information, you're building user interfaces on top of those things. You might be, you know, integrating interesting stuff like AI and ML, but with uh, Web three and with blockchains, you now are kind of having this financial primitive that's also built into it. And then you're also overlapping a lot more, I think, with other parts of the world, like art and uh, music and create more creative types of folks. So there's there's a lot of things that are you know out there that that can be 
improved, <laughs> I would say, that touch on a lot of these different areas. But for me, um, the financial aspect of it, um, I think the initial thing that got me interested was this idea of kind of a global primitive that anyone can transact with at an inexpensive cost, like with some of the um, lower cost networks that we're starting to see now with things like stable coins, which are, um, you know, really fundamentally just revolutionary. I think when you're thinking about areas where they have high inflation or areas where it's really just really tough to transact, like if I want to send money to certain parts of the world, it's really, really tough. But when you actually look at the software that runs all of these payment processors and all of the different layers of abstraction and all the complexity, and then you kind of compare that with distributed ledger technology where anyone can just go download a wallet and send a payment without anyone stopping them from doing that, that's kind of like a huge, huge deal, I think. And and so that's exciting. But the the thing that are the things that are challenging about it right now, at least, have to do with scalability and accessibility. So just because these things exist doesn't mean that they're really accessible to everybody. Because if you want to, if you're living in Lebanon and you want to kind of go buy some groceries, it's not like you can go and, and pay with cryptocurrency for the most part for the average person right now. So how do we kind of make that more accessible? Um, and how do we actually make this these technology, these primitives more scalable? So in Going back to referencing like AWS, we have databases that literally can handle 100 million operations per second, um, like like Amazon.com, for example, using these really, really, I would say, mature databases and technologies that we've been iterating on for you know dozens of years, whereas blockchains literally can only handle a few thousand transactions per second. And the order of magnitude of a difference between how scalable those two things are means that we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. Um, and to achieve, I guess, this big goal of becoming um, like the go-to currencies, let's say, what are the key challenges in our way? Well, I would say point of sales are, are one big thing because like if people do have these things, do have these tokens and, and they're earning them in, in whatever way, um, how can they spend them? And and that's kind of like, you know, that's a challenge, right? So I think that until we have ways for me as a retailer to just really easily like maybe download a single app and then just post a iPad and then immediately start taking payments. So we need better software. Um, we also need better ways for people to kind of like earn. And most people... It is they're they're worried about things like paying their bills. They're worried about you know their kids like getting to school and like you know illnesses and all these other things. The last thing they're worried the last thing they're worried about is like going to some crypto exchange and like moving money around and then downloading a wallet and, and all this crap. So um, what what we are seeing though is like inter internationalization and um, decentralization. You know I hate to use that word again, but it's like the de decentralization um, and internationalization of work digitalization of work, uh, remote work. Um, it's no longer the case that you have to basically work in San Francisco to get like a high paying tech job. You know, anyone around the world nowadays, especially since COVID. So there, there's more ways for people to kind of like work remotely and work digitally. And therefore it's, it's becoming more and more of a problem for people to make 
for people to pay their payroll. And we're seeing more of this like consulting type of deal where like I'm running a company and like I'm limiting myself if I'm gonna say I'm only gonna hire people in the United States. Instead, what if I could hire out of all the other like over a hundred countries where we have really smart people, but once I hire that person, how do I actually pay them? Well, it actually makes a lot more sense to me and I'm starting to see again and, and uh, a lot of other companies do this as well that what if I can just basically just press a button and send them like crypto and a, and a stable stable coin. I don't have to go through all this. I mean, like if you've ever had to actually do this, it's a huge, huge pain in the ass, especially when you have like, let's say 20, 30, 40 different countries that you're paying people in. Being able to just go to a single place and send the money and they can receive that is huge. So once we, you know, we're seeing more of that. So more people are going to be having uh, having these things. Therefore, the point of sales existing will allow them to spend th these things. So we won't really need a fiat onboarding and offboarding as much, um, because like we won't even really be offboarding like t at all, uh, you know, to begin with. So those things I think are are, are going to be the two main things that we're going to kind of see. Like, but it's not going to be an overnight thing. It's going to be kind of like a progression. And I, and I think the areas that need it the most are going to be the ones that adopt it the most. And we're already seeing that with uh, countries like Argentina and even um, we're starting to see some of this happen in uh, places in the Middle East, like Lebanon. Um, it's starting to, we're starting to see a little bit more of it there. But real world uh, use cases, I think Argentina is kind of a good example of like being in a place and needing a better solution, the better solution existing in it, then it beginning, becoming adopted. People in the United States, for the most part, like they don't give a shit. Like the people that really are the most against this stuff typically are like really high paid people that have a lot of privilege and don't need don't need this. So like they don't really care. So like it's not gonna be driven by a single like country. It's gonna be just driven by supply and demand. I mean not not supply and demand, but by demand, you know. I think if the technology is good enough, the population will adopt it because that's what's necessary. And so I've read a few of your Medium articles, and I know that you're quite passionate around social issues, especially in the US. And I'm not sure how often you get asked this question, but I would love to hear your thoughts around like censorship resistance. Um, and I assume it's also a big part of why you bought into like the blockchain vision of decentralization as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a touchy and tricky topic because censorship is... It can be good and it can be bad, right? I mean, like, there's no doubt that there's certain things that should not be maybe made accessible for people, right? Um, illegal images and and hurtful things and, and things like that. But at the same time, as a creator and as we're starting to kind of see more differences between different countries and the way they kind of like, I would say, approach social issues and, and political issues and stuff, we're starting to see a lot of fragmentation around what is allowed and what isn't allowed online. Um, and we're also starting to see people's lives and their li their livelihoods, uh, the way that they make their money dependent on their their presence online. So if, if, the, if, if you are a creator and like the, the way that you pay your bills has to do with a certain platform and that platform can literally just one day just decide to just turn you off or maybe one day someone hacks your account and they can delete everything um, and you're no longer even able to access that stuff. That's, that's, that's a challenge that if we can solve it would be a, value, a valuable thing for a lot of people. So I think that's kind of more where uh, my interest lies. And I think that uh, really the things that we're seeing around uh, protocols like Lens, I think are really interesting and in that you can create 
an online presence and it can not only be transferable across multiple different front ends, not just like Twitter, but you can also say, uh, build your audience on Twitter and then have it available on YouTube and then TikTok and all these other places without having to kind of redo the work. But also it's always going to be there. Your content like will always be there. And I think that's that's a huge, huge paradigm shift from like where we've been in the past. I think we're so used to software just being extremely brittle and like n- knowing that one day I can wake up and, and my application's gone and that's just something we, we're okay with. I mean, I wouldn't say that we're okay with it, but we've just come to accept that things can be you know, removed and whatever. But I think like once we realize that that doesn't have to be the case, uh, a lot of people are, you know, really excited about what the repercussions of that might be. Yeah, I completely agree. And around, you know, Web3 is really about owning your data and not having it just being taken down. And I think this has been a huge social debate happening online at the moment. Um, So it's one that I'm also very interested in. But diving a little bit deeper into your journey with DeveloperDAO, I know that you joined at quite an early stage and you've watched it develop um, to the point that it's at now. How did you really help build it and do you have any reflections on that experience? Right, yeah, so DeveloperDAO is actually something that I created and it's a community of developers that we actually launched exactly a year ago um, as of like three days ago. So we launched the beginning of September and we are now September 6th, so it's been like a year and three months. And it's been, it's been a journey, and it's been an exciting thing to be part of. So I created it, but um, to kind of talk about where we've gone in the last year, it's mainly about the community and the work that they've kind of done. So I would say that um, the initial idea was to have a community of, of developers that all had a lot of things in common, and we could share information, we could share jobs, and we can have you know, a lot of interesting conversations that were similar to maybe something like Friends with Benefits, which was the first DAO I ever joined. But Friends with Benefits, people were very, very diverse, like the the different discussions they were having. So there were people that were actors and there were people that were photographers and there were like, you know, designers and, and artists and even sex workers. And you had all these groups of people. And um, it was hard to kind of find a community of developers that, that, that were there. And I was thinking, okay, what if we had a Friends with Benefits, which I really love and I'm actually still a part of, but only focused on developers. And that's, that's kind of the general idea. And I launched the smart contract and made a video about it and asked the community uh, or my network, I would say, hey, if, if you're interested in this idea, let's build it out together. And that's kind of what happened. We built it together. Um, the reason that it became successful is really because we had a handful of people early on that just joined and did a lot of work over the past year. So there's um, a handful, uh, half dozen uh, core team members along with dozens of other people that kind of joined and they set up all of the different things that you would need to have a DAO like voting and all the different forum stuff and guidelines and rules and, and, and a website and all this stuff. So really it's like a community collaboration. Uh, I kind of set forward the initial vision of it and I have been a part of it, but most of the work has actually not even been done by me. It's been done by a lot of other communities. And like we all help drive it. It's not like just one person. We all have our own ideas. And I think like, you know, the values of everyone together is kind of a collaborative effort and and therefore that kind of is what we exude as a community and uh, our main mission values and goals has a lot to do with education and public goods and 
um, not investing and not like money. It, it, like the the main idea, really, I would say, if I could kind of, kind of like distill it, is kind of like you come in into the DAO and you uh, build the skills and the network necessary to go find a job and you can make money. And then what you do with that money, like we, it doesn't matter. Like we're not there to kind of tell you, oh, go buy this NFT or all this other stuff. Like you see all these most, in my opinion, like most Web3 um, communities are focused. Instead, we're focused on getting people jobs and then they have now money to make and they can go do whatever they want with it. But really it's all about like landing a job because if you can get a, if you can build the skill set necessary to, to, make, to make money, regardless of the market conditions, you should be fine. Yeah, agreed. And I think with the report that Electric Capital came out, was it last year, I think, where there's only 20,000 developers currently in the space. Have you noticed that number like internally increase? Or do you think that there still needs to be a huge push to get more developers? I think that we definitely, it would be nice to have more developers, but I think tech in general is just continuing to expand at a really rapid pace. And that's why you start starting to see the the amount of money that a lot of people are being made. But just because Web3 is growing doesn't mean like all these other areas are growing. Like AI is, is having a moment right now. And just tech in general, it's just really hard to hire. So it's like all these areas that are competing with each other. And I think that we just need more developers, period, regardless if you want to work in uh, Web3 or if you want to work in traditional tech. Um, obviously, I enjoy working in Web3, but I would say that if you're a developer or if you're interested in being a developer, I would kind of like explore a bunch of different communities and see like what resonates the most with you. Um, there are definitely a big shortage though in, in, in Web3 right now still, even with the marketing conditions as they are. Everyone I know is hiring the the amount of money that people are getting paid has not really gone down that I know of. I mean, I know people that have landed roles in the last couple of months, like almost half a million dollar total compensation that aren't really senior level people. So um, if that tells you like anything about market conditions. Yeah, if you're thinking about a, a career switch, developing might be a good route. <laughs> um, and so having built a DAO, what are your key reflections on that? Because I imagine it must be very different to building a traditional company. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that I would have done differently early on, for sure, would have been to slow down a little bit. I think that I have a tendency of just wanting to just do stuff and just ship things and I get in a hurry. And I also feel like, oh, if we don't do this it's, you know, today, it's going to be the end of the world. When in reality, um, a lot of the people that have come in with with me that are now we're all collaborative making these decisions have kind of taught me that it's better to slow down sometimes and do things right like yes you have to actually ship and execute and do stuff but uh you don't have to do it like right away so like one of the things i i made we made a few mistakes around how we kind of structured for instance um our advisors and stuff like that early on, or maybe how we structured, you know, certain things that we could have slowed down on. So one thing I would say is for sure, slow down. Uh, another thing I can reflect on now is that the core team that we had is is so, so, so important and, and making sure that you have like a really strong core team that is gonna be together through the thick and the thin. We've gone through like really good times and really bad times and the, quality of the people that I'm with, I can't speak highly enough of them. And if and if it wasn't for them, then we wouldn't be where we are today. So I'm just um, really, I would say, you know, make sure that that early core team is, is 
is are, are people that you can kind of trust and that you can rely on and that are um, you know good quality people. And um, I would say, obviously, every community is going to be different, but our focus on keeping speculation away, not talking about investing and not not kind of focusing on NFTs and all this other stuff, and instead focusing on public goods and education and helping and, and just being, I don't know, being a group of people that is mainly focused on, yeah, education and, and helping people land jobs. Um, that seems to have been really a great decision because we had a really good and bad times over the past year with the market, but that didn't really affect our community that much. Whereas I saw other DAOs that almost like ceased to exist even, or, or like had really rough challenges with that. Uh, so that's another thing. And then the last thing I would say is we chose not to build a treasury early on based on how we designed our original NFT launch. And while that made it extremely accessible for people to get in, we ended up not having any money to work with at all. So we had a lot of um, a lot of challenges over the last year just to pay our bills and to, to even pay contributors, which still haven't been paid enough, in my opinion, um, to get to where we are today. Instead, I would have kind of mixed it a little bit up. I would have still made like the majority of the people that have joined allowed them to join for free, but I also would have done some type of fundraising around the initial launch and um, therefore built some type of treasury and hopefully had more runway uh, to, to deal with early on without having to kind of be stressed out about that. So It sounds like you've really managed to build a community that actually has like um, a deeper meaning rather than just this surface level understanding, which is really, really great. And it leads quite well into my next question. So internally at Radical, you're known as the king of DevRel. So what have your key learnings been around DevRel and maybe explaining a little bit what DevRel is? Yeah, there's a lot of um, things that I've learned for sure. Over, I've been doing DevRel now for a little over, I guess, or maybe right at five years almost, which is a long time now, at least in DevRel, because I don't think it's that new. Of, I mean, it's that old of a profession, if you would even call it that. Um, I think... F- some of the lessons I've learned for one, what was the second part of that question? I'm sorry. Um, the second part was around what is what does DevRel actually mean? Oh, what does DevRel actually mean? Right. Okay. So DevRel, it, it, it kind of depends on the size of the organization, I think. But in general, I think if you wanted to just distill it down, it's a person that works with a certain company, team, or technology, and their main focus is to help developers or make them successful. And I think that certain organizations have different ways of doing DevRel, and, it, and, and the answer of it depends also applies here, just like in every other part of tech. But like if you have a group of, of people, say for instance, at Microsoft, and they're building out a million different things and they have this huge budget, then they'll probably have like 100 or 200 DevRel people, and then therefore the DevRel people and that organization will be probably a lot more specialized into like smaller things and they won't be doing like everything. Uh, smaller organizations where they might only have one DevRel person might be doing like everything. And the scope of what a DevRel does really is pretty broad and, and kind of depends on really the person. But you could be speaking at conferences, you could be creating open source software, 
You could be blogging. You could be doing social media stuff. You could be community building on Discord. And I think the best companies out there that have good management will allow the person that they've hired to do DevRel kind of find the things that they want to do and that they're good at and focus on those because you can't really do everything. So I think that um, one of the things that I've seen work really well is if you hire someone and you want them to speak at events and, and create videos and write blog posts. Maybe they're not good at all that stuff, but maybe they're really good at like one or two of those things. If you find those one or two good things and just uh, allow them to focus on that, they'll have a lot more of an impact. So that's one one thing I would kind of uh, mention there. But but yeah, DevRel is kind of, yeah, just about helping developers, making them uh, become successful. So some of the things that I've learned uh, during the last five years of doing it, I would say one of the most important things is just to be consistent over time. Uh, you'll be kind of having ups and downs and you'll have good days and bad days and you'll have good ideas and bad ideas. And the more that you experiment and the more that you put out there, the more likely that you'll have something that resonates with someone. And then obviously the more practice that you have, the better you get at it. Um, so I think sometimes we put our time, effort, and like blood, sweat, and tears into something. And then we ship it and then no one like looks at it or cares about it. And that's a really rough thing to have happen. And everyone kind of does that, has that experience, I think, in DevRel. And um, a lot of people get discouraged. And especially if that happens like a couple times in a row. But I think just sticking with it a little bit and being consistent is, is, is definitely um, one tip I would give. Another is that um, there's this guy, his name is Sean Wang, and he he did this whole um, idea around learning in public. I don't know if he created it or if he was the one that just um, made it popular, but he's talked a lot about this idea of learning in public, and he's actually one of my good friends. And the whole idea of learning in public is something that if you kind of embody as a developer relations person, you'll have a lot of success. Because all that really means is kind of like, if you're trying something new, you take that code and you, and you make it open source maybe, or you show it off. Or if you're learning something, you document it and you share it. But like everything that you're learning, you're kind of sharing it as you're learning. And I think the general idea of learning in public is is definitely um, you know an important thing. And then the last thing I would say is that if you have the opportunity to be in DevRel and you can um, get to the point where you have options, choosing to focus more and more and more, like as you become more senior, own the things that you actually truly enjoy and love and believe in and not focusing on like anything else, if you can, is, is going to make you much more successful. And I think early on, like you just want to get the first job and that's fine. I think you should just get into it if you need to, even if it's not working with your favorite team or technology. But, but after you've been doing this for a while, you'll have more and more opportunities. And I think if you start choosing the things that are, are really interesting to you and that are passionate about uh, to you, that comes off as so much more genuine when you're actually then teaching other people because you end up not shilling stuff. You're actually talking about stuff that you care about. And um, people can kind of tell the difference. You know, I think certain times you might get these huge job offers. I've turned down, you know, offers that are like four times as much as maybe what I could have, what I decided to make because I didn't care about that technology. And if I had taken that money, I would have felt, you know, not only like I was just being dishonest when I go out and try to talk about it, but it, I wouldn't have really been interested in it. And I think that, you know, uh, the money will come and the success will come if you kind of choose to do the things that are most interesting to you.
I think that's generally good life advice to be there honest. We go. <laughs> Choosing your passion <laughs> over just like a short-term reward. I think society as a whole now, we're slowly being taught to think in short bursts rather than long bursts. And I think when you choose something that you can have, you know, a, a bigger salary and that is a, you know, it's a, it's a good return, but then long-term, are you really going to enjoy that role? And is it really for you? And if you can't answer that question, then you're probably going to hate it. And then, yeah, so I think in general, that advice is good. Whether you're a founder or you're thinking about switching careers, that is some really key advice. And you're also on the grants committee for Radical. Um, you have another position. What are the key things that you look for when you're analysing projects? Because this, so this podcast is mainly for builders. So what advice, I guess, would you give to a builder building a project that you look for when you're looking at different um, projects? That's another it depends question for sure. But I think that the more well thought out and I would say explanatory that someone is and their idea, the easier it is for us to really understand what they're doing. And and um, obviously focusing on ideas that are kind of more real world, especially in a market like today, are, are going to probably resonate a lot more. Like if someone can actually tangibly take this thing that you're building and have some benefit from it or some I would say utility from it maybe, then that's gonna stand apart for sure than maybe the next like NFT idea or, or, or whatever. And I know there's a very broad spectrum of things that you can kind of do that might touch on NFTs. So I'm not really taking a jab at NFTs in general, but, um, but yeah, just having a clear, and even if you kind of have to go into a little more bit more breadth um, detail about like what you're building and, and all of the ideas behind it and kind of how you got to this point, then um, that usually comes off as a lot more genuine, but it's also usually obviously easy for us to understand like what you're doing. And then, yeah, focusing on real world challenges, just finding solutions to real world challenges. The, uh, those are usually things that stand out. But yeah, it depends because um, there's a broad amount of things that people can, you know, be, can build in Web3. So um, some of these more wild ideas are also sometimes interesting so yeah I guess a better way could frame it is like where do you think the most innovation is needed okay yeah I think the most innovation right now from so obviously the things that uh, I think I'd mentioned why I joined Celestia has to do with my interest around scalability and accessibility so I think that um, the scalability is going to come at the protocol level but the accessibility level uh, the accessibility might be more of like a UX type of thing and I think that anyone that's building to improve user experience there's a lot of a lot of um, opportunity in that area right now. And we're starting to kind of see some really interesting stuff happen. So I think that one um, good example of this is how, again, I'm going to mention Lens, but just one of the features that they kind of implemented is this relayer that allows gasless transactions. And they're using a, a low cost protocol like Polygon. And then uh, recently we've seen Arbitrum launch Nova, which is what Reddit is using. And these low cost networks combined with relayers really remove a huge, huge barrier to entry for, for 99%, obviously, or, or, or I'm just guessing, yeah, probably 99% of the world to actually transact in Web3 because they no longer need to have tokens. They no longer need to pay for these transactions. Instead, the platform is figuring out a way to monetize the user base, They're, and then they can subsidize the transactions, and then they kind of pair that with these relayer technologies 
that implement things like DDoS protection that you need for, um, for that sort of functionality. So users around the world can just download a wallet and start using your app. They don't need to go through the whole process of getting tokens, which is a huge, huge barrier to entry, and it's also a huge point of friction. And I think that that's kind of how we onboard the next billion uh, or so users is through those types of technologies. And once they have a wallet, then they can start earning. You know, there are ways to earn online without having to kind of uh, spend money in Web3. You can um, create stuff on like Lens. You can actually you know, you can get on Lens for free. You can uh, create an NFT or something, sell it there, and then start earning. So there's ways to earn without having to kind of spend money. And I think we just need more people that are uh, online interacting with wallets, and then we can figure it out from there. You mentioned there briefly about your move to Celestia. Um, and I'd also love to hear a bit more about what inspired that move and what your role is there. Yeah, so my role is also in de developer relations. I work with Yaz, and Yaz has been in DevRel maybe longer than me, but for sure longer than me in crypto and Web3. Uh, maybe we've been in, in, in DevRel about the same time. But yeah, so Celestia is the first modular blockchain network. Our focus is on decoupling the different layers of a blockchain. And there's a lot of nuance and um, complexity around like how the scalability is kind of accomplished, but uh, I can kind of give a couple of examples. But the general idea is that most blockchains are monolithic, meaning that they do all the core functions of a blockchain. Um, they do consensus, they do execution, they do uh, settlement and data availability, whereas Celestia only does data availability and consensus and allows other blockchains to focus on specializing in those other layers. And the core, I would say, benefit of doing that, it unlocks a lot of different um, new scaling, scalability primitives. Um, one of them has to do with how we typically scale block size at the core data, uh, I would say, consensus layer. Um, so with Celestia, the number of uh, users that are running light nodes, as that increases, the block size can increase without any hit to decentralization or scalability. So that's one core feature. Another is that anyone can kind of build out their own blockchain and deploy their own um, application-specific blockchain, similar to how we deploy smart contracts today. And therefore, you're not sharing your execution environment with every other application. So when we think of uh, Ethereum, it's you know been called the internet computer, or not the internet computer. It's, uh, anyway, it's something like that. I think uh, IC is the internet computer. but. Um, or maybe it's been called that, I don't know. But basically the idea is like everyone is, is sharing this single execution environment. So every time someone launches a smart contract on Ethereum, we're all now sharing this limited space. But what we started seeing happen is like people are, are deploying rollups and layer twos that are kind of like allowing the actual execution to happen on this separate blockchain and then batching the transactions and, and there you're getting that scaling capability. But what if everyone could deploy their own rollup for their own application and you didn't have to share that execution environment with anyone, but you still had all the scalability benefits of a layer two. So that's kind of where we're headed, I think, in the industry. That's where Ethereum is headed already with their updates to their roadmap, uh, similar to what we're doing at Celestia. And we're starting to see other blockchains do that as well. Do you think the the future is multi-layered or multi-chain? I think it's maybe both. And I'm not sure the definition of multi-layer, but I'm guessing like a single chain with multi with multiple yeah. different. Okay. I think it's probably going to be a little bit of both. I think that we're going to get away uh, from this idea of like a layer one and a layer two. 
And I think we're going to get more into this idea of the primitives themselves and how they can all kind of be interoperable because you, with with the future of Ethereum and with the future of a Celestia and Cosmos as well, uh, you can kind of pick and choose. You can say, okay, I want to take this um, optimism execution environment and I want to use Ethereum as a settlement layer and Celestia as a data availability layer. And you're kind of now com- compose- having this composability and you're kind of mixing these things up. And I think that that's kind of going to be where we're headed. If you choose to use Ethereum, that doesn't mean you're only going to be building on Ethereum. You could also be building on these other ecosystems as well. And what are the most innovative or interesting like interoperability solutions that you've seen? I know that you mentioned Cosmos, obviously, but what are some solutions that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, I've really been getting more and more I would say interested in some of the stuff that is happening in the Cosmos ecosystem around IBC. And I think that mm-hmm. that's really, really ahead of its time. And um, I think that we're going to probably see, obviously, like a, a Celestia version of that. And um, that that's 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 really interesting. And um, I think that we have a lot of room and a lot of work on bridging technologies. But I think we're going to see a lot, a lot more, a lot better, a lot more secure implementations of bridges as we see people making the mistakes that have happened. Um, but the bridging is going to be such a huge part of having a multi-chain world that that it's a challenge that has to be solved and that is being solved. There's a lot of risk there, but there's also a huge, huge amount of um, opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Are there any interesting um, kind of bridging protocols that you've seen recently? I mean, even with uh, the challenges that Nomad has had, I'm really excited about what they're doing and their team. I think they have probably the best or one of the best teams in in all of Web3 for sure, period. And um, I think that they are heading in the the right direction in general, regardless if they stick with what they're doing or not. I I don't know any of the details about what what has happened since that uh, incident, but I think I really, just that team in general, if they stay together, if they don't, whatever they're doing is going to be an area that I'm going to be following for sure. Amazing. You've got some alpha there. (laughs) What do you feel your purpose is within this space like what what drives you to keep building within this space and no matter what if you know we're going through a bear market and this podcast is quite literally called bears builders what drives your passion for this space i think that helping to solve you know again uh, some of the challenges that 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 are there just being part of that is really really exciting and fun and fulfilling for me and i think that the team that I'm having the opportunity to work with now is is so good and they're so smart. A lot of the, the conversations that are had are just so above my head that I end up spending hours just going and researching some of the words that they use because that's, yeah, that's that's kind of where I am. You know, I'm still fairly new into the space a year and a half in. And I think that um, I see myself as someone that's luckily part of this area of, of expertise and focus that we're focusing on with blockchain modularity. And I want to understand it better. And as we release more protocols, be out there educating other developers on how to build and um, what all this stuff means and how it works. And I've always been interested in education in the past and I am today. And I think that's where I'm going to be continuing to be interested in the future. Incredible. Those are all the questions that we have for today. But if any of the viewers do want to reach out to you and do want to learn more about you, where are the best places to reach you? I would say Twitter is probably the best place to, to reach me. 
I am Dabit3 on Twitter. I'm also on Lens Protocol at natter.lens. That's N-A-D-E-R dot lens. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nada, for joining us on the Radical Podcast today. Thank you for having me.